Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Nadel. How's it going, Rachel? I'm good, Chris. Always excited to do a, a podcast recording with you. So we got a question from a Patreon supporter, and that's one of the things we said. We said if uh, if you are in the Patreon and you ask us a question, then we will answer it on the podcast, or we will prioritize those questions and answer them on the podcast. So let's let's hear the question. So it says, my son is very motivated by music. So any resources on incorporating music into AAC implementation would be great. Also, we continue to have challenges with access, both in terms of behavior, impulsiveness, crumpling up picture symbols, trying to chew on the tablet, destroying things, and motor control. Can only access with thumb, cannot point with index finger due to fine motor challenges. We're currently focusing on low-tech access because we've had more success with low-tech versus high-tech at this point. Keep up the great work and thank you for being a champion for all kids with communication challenges. I just love this question. What an amazing mom that's in our group who's trying to support her son. And a lot of the kids that I work with are really interested with music, right? It's like music just is super fun and engaging for kids. Um, So I think there's a lot of resources that we can share that can be supporting kids who are really interested in music. Actually, on our Patreon, I just posted a uh, video through Edpuzzle. So Edpuzzle is a tool that I use in my practice. You can sign up for free. It's amazing because you're able to import a YouTube video or a clip So it can be a song. Um, The ones that I made were super simple songs because I have a client who loves super simple songs, Baby Shark, Wheels on the Bus, all all the super simple songs. And so you can import into Edpuzzle. And then what Edpuzzle allows you to do is to pause the video at strategic points and put either prompts, um, the ones that I made, they prompt on what core words to model. So, you know, you'll be listening to the music video and then it'll just stop. And it will say, you know, you can model open and close here. Um, You know, you also can put leading statements. I wonder what will happen next, dot, dot, dot. All to kind of help scaffold this type of learning for communication partners. And so that has been something that's been really great for uh, using in my practice with parents who exactly like our Patreon member who asked this question, know that their children love music, love engaging with you know, songs on YouTube and you can create these type of resources for um, clients as a way to support their ability to learn how to model. Because we take for granted that like we can listen to a super simple song and be like, "Hmm, that would be great for open and close. That would be great for stop and go. Um, But it's not always that intuitive. Um, And so it kind of breaks down the process. Um, So anyway, it's been really cool, Chris, because there's been I posted um, a tutorial in our Patreon on how to use Edpuzzle to create these. And there's been this amazing uh, commenting and people sharing. Deanna Wagner, actually, she shared a few Edpuzzle videos that she has created. And it's just really exciting to kind of all share and collect all these resources because after you're done making the Edpuzzle, you can simply send the link and people can view it even if they don't have an account with Edpuzzle. Um, So it's just a really quick and easy way to kind of show how you can support core word learning through music. 
Mm-hmm. So another idea th- that I have for music here would be the idea, and he, he, it was mentioned about some sort of access difficulties, so that he's not using necessarily direct select with a with an index finger, um, but maybe his thumb that he's uh, accessing some, or has better control or use of his thumb. So I'm wondering about uh, accessing a computer or switches uh, and then engaging with music that way. So there are many kind of switch activated PowerPoints that you can find and I can link to some. But the idea is that uh, you could have some sort of music and then you would start and stop the music by hitting the switches, you know, in which case now you are um, you are in control of the music and when you're starting and stopping it. Now, maybe he does have control of, uh, of an iPad and he can touch the screen in the in the same way but i love what you were saying too about the ed puzzle uh what a creative use of it there's so many teachers that have used that in the past for like formative assessments it pops up and it gives you questions but i really loved how you were uh using it as a way to prompt or teach the communication partner yeah and so there's a lot of different uses for it so you could like you mentioned add some comprehension questions to ask it has multiple choice options but i love just the note function which is just like here's a little note for the parent to read um, and almost like a script to follow so that they know what core words to model and the thing i love about this is parents use it maybe every day they watch that video but then over time they no longer need the video right they can just pull it up on youtube because they don't need that support anymore they know you know the points where they need to model open and close they know the points where they need to model up and down um, and so it's just a really great way to get parents engaged with with activities that their kids are loving um, you know the number one question i ask is what's your child's favorite song or your child's favorite youtube video. And it's like, I can take that and I can create a language activity out of that. Without a doubt, right? I mean, okay, so let's think, what else can we do with music? Well, we can make music, right? So uh, if around the house, you can make drums or bang on pots and pans, you can um, make like a little uh, guitar, you can make, maybe there's some sort of xylophones, there's all sorts of fun ways to make sounds and make music, it sounds like maybe he might need some sort of, uh, and again, based on a couple sentences, it's hard to, to really guess or to figure out, but just ideas, there's different ways you could uh, adapt whatever he needs to hold. So if you, if it was drums, let's say, you know, and holding onto the drumstick might be difficult. Uh, there are different ways you could adapt that by having like squishy balls. I don't know if you've ever seen those, you know, like uh, that you would, and you might even have stuff like that around the house or uh, tape, uh, not that you would tape his hand to it, but tape could make things a lot thicker, you know, and so now you can grab on to where that tape handle is, that duct tape, you know, and now that might make it a little easier for him to grip. So, and lots of other ways too, but those are just some, you know, we'd have to really look at him to see how would we adapt it to, to make so that he could play music himself. But well, let's not, let's not throw that out. Like it's not just consuming music, but it is also producing it. And then us as the communication partner saying more, I like it. Uh, my turn, let's do it. You know, that kind of stuff. Too loud. Ow. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Um, one app that I love using for kids who have some fine motor issues, it's called Baby Piano. And what's really nice about it is that you can literally hit anywhere on the screen and you have to keep touching the screen to get the music to play. If you stop touching the screen, it's slowly like it's the volume gets lower and lower and lower until it stops. 
And so it's a really great cause and effect, um, but you can choose lots of different songs and it's not reliant on that fine motor access. So I typically use it with kids who, you know, perhaps I'm thinking about down the line, okay, like maybe I want to introduce a high tech device. I need them to start understanding when I touch the device, something happens, right? Um, so getting kids used to touching a screen, that app can be super effective in that because it doesn't rely on, you know, touching a, a certain touch point on the screen. It's really, this entire screen is open so they can use their entire hand if they want to, to activate it. I love that. I love that. I got to check that out. So there's another resource that we could point people to, and that is, uh, again, right here on our own Exceptional Ed Network family. We recently had Caroline Musselwhite on the podcast, and something that she has talked about and developed is something called a songboard. And in fact, she did an entire hour-long course about how to use them over on Exceptional Ed. But the idea with a songboard is essentially it's like a graphic organizer that when you are singing some sort of song, it you've pre-planned what the words are and you kind of can reference them. And I know she has some on that on her uh, AACintervention.com blog uh, where you, you can kind of get a template, um, even if you didn't want to go buy the actual course that she, she has over on Exceptional Ed. Um, but go, you can watch that course and that also gives you stuff. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And um, I know that in the question, it says that they've been focusing mostly on low tech. But if you were to have some type of high tech system, um, what I love doing is taking screenshots from a child's favorite songs or shows and putting those right on the device, right? Because oftentimes we work on core words like play, um, you know, to play a song. But what's really motivating for kids is when they can pick what song they want. Mm -hmm. um, so that can be a really motivating activity too, is just doing screen grabs from their favorite chosen songs and um, putting them right on the device as a way to request more specific songs. Mm -hmm. Rachel, have you ever heard of Symbaloo? No. What's that? Uh all right. So yeah, um, not to be confused with Symbol It, which is a different app altogether. Symbaloo is a website that actually sort of looks like an AAC device, but it's not. It is uh, a way of organizing your hyperlinks into buttons on a screen. So that's why it's very similar looking to an AAC device where there's cells across the screen, but those cells can then be shortcuts. And so it is just like you're, you're, you're saying, okay, we have one device maybe that is our communication device and another device that uh, here's where you can go and you can have quick access to your songboards um, or whatever other quick activities you want. They're all organized in a, in a very app fashion sort of way. And of course, if you have a touchscreen laptop or something, it's just a website. So, and in fact, it might even work on tablets, but it's a nice way to organize those resources uh, in, a, in a separate location. I'm frantically on my Facebook right now, Chris, because someone just posted um, on Facebook, I had a post, I'm doing a giveaway um, in um, a group. And I said, if you want to get this giveaway, like post your favorite telepractice resource in this chain. And someone shared ThingLink. Have you seen this? Oh, yeah. I know ThingLink okay. really well. Yeah. Okay. I, I had never seen this. And so um, Amanda, Amanda Sheriff, actually, she posted ThingLink, and I feel like you could probably do the same thing with songs, right? 
100%. So let's say what Thingling is, is you upload a picture and that picture, you can kind of pick hotspots and you can put little icons where those hotspots are, but you don't have to. Uh, I usually do. Um, so imagine, let's just say like how a teacher might use it. And then we can talk about how you might use it with, with AAC and with these, with a, with songs in general. So imagine you had a diagram of a frog and you would um, have different arrows pointing to parts of the frog. Well, if you hover over those different arrows, it might take you to a YouTube or a podcast or take you to another picture or a little block of text might pop up that describes these different parts of the screen uh, or these different parts of the frog. But you never have to, but it's all right there on one picture. So you could do the same thing with a communication board, you know, and you could hover over the boards and it would bring up like little YouTube videos to take you to, or different websites that take you to different strategies per word. Or in this case with songs, you could have a bunch of pictures or just one picture or like a collage of pictures of your favorite artist and the same thing, you know, uh, when I go up to, when I click on the Tim McGraw picture, oh, I go listen to Tim McGraw. I don't know where I pulled that from. I'm not like a Tim I was McGraw like, are you a Tim McGraw fan? <laughs> like, that's like so unassuming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, or let's say you're a, um, who would be more, uh, you're an AJR fan. I'm so hip. I'm going to say if you're an AJR fan, you could go click on a, no, see, see, I'm I don't so even, hip. I know AJR. Like what? I feel so not hip right now. <laughs> well, it's because I have t- two almost teens in the house. They keep you hip. They do. They do. Okay. So point being, you could have all these artists in one picture, and then you could use ThingLink to take you to those YouTube videos. It's just an access method, really. Mm-hmm. But it could also have the little prompts, like you were saying. But this would be an image rather than an Edpuzzle, which is a video. This would be an image that would have, you know, prompts of what you could say. And they wouldn't always be there. They'd just be like, well, what, is, what should I say here? And you'd hover over a certain part of the image, and that's where the prompts would come up. Mm-hmm. Very cool, Amanda Sheriff. Yeah, I love this. On the well, podcast. What she, well, what she posted was um, a core board. And the core board has the hotspots. So I was just like, oh my gosh, this could have so much potential. Um, You know, you could link play to playing a YouTube video, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. To kind of get that that reinforcement, right? It's like I I get to touch this and then I see, wow, like I just played something. So it just gives that automatic meaning that we're teaching behind the core words. So I just have like, um, I have so many ideas that I want to explore with that tool that I never even knew about. Awesome. All right. We threw a bunch of tools at people. We've talked about ThingLink. We've talked about Symbaloo. We've talked about Edpuzzle. Uh, we've talked about, oh, Baby Piano. Yes. How, how could I forget? Because yeah, I have not, I have not played with that one yet. So yeah. Do you think we helped this Patreon? I, I hope. hope so. I'm like really excited because we, we, we really pulled together a lot of resources um, that hopefully was super helpful. And um, thank you so much to all of our Patreon members because we really are starting to build out such an amazing community. Um, we're all helping each other. I feel like we all kind of know the other people that are in there. And um, I definitely feel like more connected to the Patreon members. And um, it's really exciting because I'm able to have conversations and we're able to send messages back and forth and comment on each other's posts. And it's just a really, really wonderful community we're building. Yeah, I love it. It's like there's a new message every day, which is fantastic. Yeah. So if you guys haven't joined our Patreon and you're interested in joining, you can go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. We would love to have you. We're adding new content all the time. And um, it's really exciting to see how it's grown over the last couple months, Chris. Um, And I'm excited to see how it grows even more. 
Me too. So let me tell you a little bit about the interview that we have coming up here. So this is Mike Hippel and Tammy Altshuler and Sarah Blackstone, who has been in the AAC community for, well, she gets into it. She's a veteran. Let's just put it that way. And so you might recognize that name. Uh, but they wanted to come on and talk about USAC and a little bit about uh, the work they're doing with disaster relief and disaster preparedness um, and trying to grow the membership of USAC. And so that's what we did. We got on, we talked about it. And it's a fantastic interview uh, about advocacy and really, you know, what we can do as uh, people who are stakeholders in AAC to keep the rest of the world aware and not just aware, but um, get them moving in a direction to do something to help other people. So without further ado, here's Mike Hippel, Tammy Altshuler, and Sarah Blackstone. Speech Blubs is an app that helps kids make sounds, then words, and then sentences with just 10 to 15 minutes of practice a day. The app has more than 1,500 fun activities for toddlers, preschoolers, and anyone with speech delays. Speech Blubs was designed by speech therapists, parents, and kids too. Video models using actual kids are a big part of its main methodology. Video modeling is an evidence-based practice supported by copious amounts of research to help kids learn language. The embedded videos in the app show kids speaking. The app then invites them to imitate the video model. Parents know that hearing their child finally say mommy, either with their voice or AAC, is a true milestone. Speechblubs has more than 1 million downloads, proving that the app could be a great starting point. The subscription starts as low as $4.99 a month for the annual plan, which is a nominal investment to improve a child's speech and language abilities. Anyone can try the app for free for seven days, but as a listener of this podcast, Speechblubs is providing an extended trial for an entire month. Simply go to bit.ly backslash TWT Speechblubs and complete the form to receive an extended trial. Also, if you're a Talking with Tech Patreon member before April 2nd, 2020, you will receive a free lifetime membership to Speechblubs. Go to patreon.com backslash Talking with Tech to sign up. And check out speechblubs.com for more information about using this engaging and empowering app. That's speechblubs.com. Check it out today. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I am here with three special guest stars. So let's, let's go in order here. First we have is Tammy Altshuler. Am I saying that right, Tammy? That was very good, yes. All right, fantastic. And then we have Sarah Blackstone. How's it going, Sarah? It's going well, considering. Yes, and Mike Hippel. How's it going, Mike? Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. My name is Mike Hippel. How's it going, Mike? So we're here to talk about, Mike, let me give the, everyone who's listening this quick little backstory here, and that is you reached out. Mike has been on the podcast before uh, we were talking about Watern, uh, that, that episode, so you can go back and check that out if you want to get uh, familiar with uh, where Mike lives and some of the work that he does. Um, but he reached out to the podcast and said, hey, let's talk about USAC, and let's talk about um, disaster relief. Let's talk about stuff that USAC's doing. Let's have a whole conversation about it. And I was like, yeah. Let's do it. Absolutely. So let's get started. Let's talk a little bit for people who don't know you. What's your background? Um, Mike, do you want to go first? 
I am the director of membership for United States Society of AAC. I also founded Wisconsin AAC Network of Future Assistive Technology Specialists. All right, cool. Thanks, Mike. Um, Tammy, what's your involvement? I am a speech language pathologist at NYU Langone Medical Center in New York, New York. And I also take on a role as clinical specialist in patient provider communication. All right, cool. Welcome. So, Mike, you're in Wisconsin. Tammy, you're in New York. Yes. Uh huh. And then we have Sarah. So, Sarah, what's uh, what's your story? From uh, California. I'm um, the oldest member of this podcast by far, which means that um, I've been working in the field of speech language pathology since the 1970s. And before there was an augmentative and alternative communication area of practice, uh, I'm a speech language pathologist. I have been involved with USAC since its, its very beginning and served in a number of roles, the past president, the presidency, the um, uh, also currently the vice president of financial affairs. And I've been co-chair of our disaster relief committee since Katrina and to the present uh, COVID situation. Gotcha. Yeah, I know we're going we're gonna to get into that in a little bit here and, and just talk about uh, what that all looks like and, and how it all formed. So, but let's first, when we talk about USAC, let's ask that question because there might be people listening. And I should say, Sarah, by the way, I got it because I'll just say it so everyone knows, like I'm fanboying out a little bit, right? I mean, you're a little bit of a celebrity in the AC world, so I don't want to keep it a secret from anybody. You know, I, I'm sitting here smiling like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to Sarah. <laughs> so, um, so, so welcome to the podcast. Um, As I so, said, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> you're a veteran. You're a veteran. That's how I like to say it. Um, so let's talk about USAC. So what is USAC? Uh, Mike, can you tell, talk to us a little bit about like, what is this thing and uh, how can people get involved? United States Society of Augmentative Alternative Communication, USIC, is the only society that worked for and with family members, AAC communicators, and professionals. Okay, so, and USAC, I believe, is a chapter of ISAC, is that right? That's correct. It's actually one of 15 chapters of the International Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. Gotcha. There's other chapters around the world, right? Exactly. Okay, cool. So, um, Sarah, maybe you, since you're the kind of the veteran here, can you talk about how it started and why it started? Sure. Um, USEC was founded in 1991. It wasn't the first chapter of ISAC, but it was one of the first. And we felt that um, each country and the United States in particular, since we're so large, has its own issues. Um, we all share the vision and the, and the mission of Isaac, but the issues are different because of the laws and the political situations and et cetera. So we felt that USAC needed to be its own chapter. Gotcha, okay. And then, so who started it? Like who, who, who's, the, who's the, the brainchild behind, hey, we need this chapter? So there, there was, as always, there was a small group of people who uh, decided this had to happen. And this small group of people uh, flew to Nebraska, where we met for a while and came up with a charter and proposed it to Isaac and was accepted. And 
there we go, 91 to we're almost 30 years old. Wow. <laughs> so when you say small group of people, are there certain names people would recognize in that small group of people? Oh, I can drop some, yep. Okay. <laughs> Who do we have to thank so, for this? It, Dave Buchelman was uh, the host in Nebraska. There was Larry Weiss, who uh, founded Zygo. Uh, Sheila Stewart, who um, was a speech-language pathologist in South Dakota at the time, who ended up in Washington, D.C. Myself, Barry Romick, who founded the Pranky Romick Company. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Okay, so now it has over the years, I mean, I would imagine you have these small group of people and then it continues to grow. I know I heard about it before I knew any of you, you know, before I met you, Mike, and actually I've never met Mike face to face just through this, uh, the way everyone's communicating right now through video conferences. But uh, so is, has it grown? And then like, are there different like factions of it or subcommittees that you're part of it? Like you said, there's the, Sarah, you had mentioned how there's like a subcommittee on uh, disaster relief or disaster preparedness, right? So Tammy, can you tell us about that? I think I might hand that one over to Sarah. Okay. So USAC has a number of different committees and the disaster relief committee is one of them. It has a membership committee, which, uh, Mike chairs. It has a professional affairs committee. It has a finance committee. It has a person and an AC advocacy committee. Um, so that it has no paid employees, essentially, but it is a organization that tries to get a lot done. And it does that because we have people on committees that work hard and make a difference and also on our board. Gotcha. Okay. Can I ask Mike, maybe this might be for you. How many people are in USAC currently? If you're the chair of that committee, you might have a, uh, you might know the numbers there, right? So, and is that okay to talk about? Do you mind sharing those numbers? Yes, you'd like to share? Oh. We have one. Five, three. Hi, everyone. We have 153. 153 members. Not bad. Not bad. So now you said, I think you said earlier that anyone can join and should. Is that what you said? I want to make sure I didn't miss it. Uh. Yeah. All right. Cool. And Sarah, you had mentioned earlier how USAC shares the same mission as Isaac, but if people don't even know what Isaac is, what is that mission? What, what is the, the hope and dream of USAC? The vision of Isaac and USAC is that AAC, Augmentative and Alternative Communication, will be recognized, valued, and used throughout the world. And our mission is to promote the best possible communication for people who have complex communication needs. So it's all about the only reason we exist is to make a difference in the lives of people who use AAC. And that takes a village. It takes an interprofessional approach and it takes the involvement, the active involvement of individuals themselves and their families as well as researchers and uh, companies and designers. And it takes a lot, lot, of, lot of people working together. 
that actually sounds a lot like the same mission we have for this podcast is to bring all these different voices and give them a place where they can share those voices and, um, and allow other people to hear them, you know, and just uh, the more we have, the more numbers we have, the louder people can, can be, which brings me maybe to the next question here is, um, does uh, USAC have some sort of policy or some sort of um, uh, plan for advocacy or is that something that they do? So I'll start with that, um, but please, everybody else, get ready, because we have a um, vice president of uh, AAC, uh, people who use AAC, and she currently is she, chairs that, it's Tracy Rackensberger, chairs um, the committee, the advocacy committee, uh, and they have developed all kinds of materials and campaigns to promote USAC at different conferences and uh, through the webcasts that we do. We do Twitter and and through this podcast, obviously, because we need more members to do a better job. So Sarah, a little backstory there. I did actually participate with USAC uh, when Amanda Hedenhausen was involved and she might still be tangentially, but I think she was, before she had her third child, she was more involved. And uh, she had reached out about Twitter and I was, uh, her and I, I was kind of coaching her through and giving her advice as USAC was trying to, they were the first ones to have an AAC chat, you know, that was a chat on Twitter that was specific to AAC. So, uh, you know, shout out to USAC for that. Congratulations there. Um, so what, what does advocacy look like though? Like, what do you, what is, so there's, there's different channels, but then what happens? I mean, is it with legislators and stuff like that too? We also have, um, on our board, a attorney, Lou Gollinker, and I'm not sure if Mike's going to talk about that or not. Mike, did you want to talk about advocacy? A lawyer on our board of directors who is the only lawyer in the country who has specialties in the AC. He advocates in Washington, D.C. for AAC and for AAC rights. He has taken on personal cases when the family's employer or their states has denied AAC device. We are the biggest player in advocating for AAC rights. So I have never met Lou, but I'm guessing you, all three of you have. So what's, what's he like? And can you tell us any stories about like, well, because USAC was involved, there was this one time where there was this one kid or this one family. And if we didn't have USAC, here's what it would have happened. You know, and if Lou wasn't involved, here's what would have happened. Do you have any stories like that you could share? I have two big ones. The first is the reason that AAC devices are covered by Medicaid is all about Lou. It's about, again, a group of people who got together, but without his leadership, it never would have happened. Fast forward a couple years, Medicare. Again, it was all about Lou and the advocacy that he led, but we also had an insider on that, Bob Williams, who happened to be working in the government and he would feed us information. Okay, now we need a lot of people to send letters, right? But the reason that AAC devices are covered by Medicaid and by Medicare is because of the work of Lou Gollinker primarily. Fantastic. Tammy, it looked like you had a story to share as well. Is that true? 
yeah, I got to meet Lou personally several years ago. Uh, there was a child in New York State who was denied a high-tech eye-gaze speech generating device. And so um, I think the family turned to USAC for some guidance and support. And I uh, went and evaluated the child for an appeal to New York State Medicaid, and I was an expert witness. I had to stand and testify for about three hours. It was pretty grueling, um, but thankfully we won. And this child now has her communication device. And it was a lot of Lou's work that got us there. So without Lou and without USAC, people would be going without. And people still are, I imagine. And that's why the advocacy work needs to continue, right? So let me ask that. I know you you had talked about the different subcommittees. And I want to get to the one on uh, the... Uh, a disaster relief or disaster preparedness, the emergency department. But there's something here you had, t- you had or you had not mentioned it, but uh, you had put it here in the notes and I wanted to ma- reference it. What is the BUILD project? Because I have not heard of that. So that's a, uh, an Isaac project. Uh, and its goal is to spread the word about AAC and AAC services to emerging areas in the world. So it's not just us richer Western nations who can help people who have severe communication challenges. Uh, it's, it's spread throughout the world. So the BUILD project is the funnel through which uh, donations can be made, um, people who travel can be connected with individuals in all kinds of different countries. And there's a newsletter that um, is called Communication Support, and it's something like that. It's, it's uh, Communication Support World Network, I guess it is, that goes out twice a year. And it links people together throughout the world who really are coming from impoverished areas, many of them. I so wish Rachel was here. I bet you when she listens back to this, she wishes is here because one, Tammy, she recently also had to testify. And I bet when she's like, yes, I had to do that too. It was so grueling. And I know she was preparing, you know, it, was, uh, it wasn't like just roll out of bed and just, you know, walk onto the stand, right? Like you're smiling like, yep, you've had that same experience. And also she's been to Nepal um, and she's actually been to a couple other countries where she is, again, trying to advocate for uh, where it's, again, in our country, we have we do have uh, lots of resources that other countries do not have, and so she brought a lot of her knowledge there. You know, and it's just a, whoever she can touch while she was there in Nepal. Um, but it sounds like this this is another channel that if people are interested in doing that, they could be looking into this the build project. All right. So without further ado, let's talk about the situation that we're all in right now. I mentioned it earlier, we are in the middle of the pandemic. We're all quarantined in our homes, uh, doing our best to stay inside. Um, Let's talk about that. Uh, Sarah, you had mentioned uh, how there was a a subcommittee or a committee formed under USAC that had to do with uh, disaster relief or disaster preparedness. Um, So let's talk about it. It's formed after Katrina. Tell tell us the history and, and what's happening and I don't know. Well, I'll, talk about I'll be I'll I'll be very uh, brief on that. But during Katrina, the minute it hit, USAC uh, formed a group, another small group of people, who reached out to the to our members in that area, and said, "How can we help?" 
and we took donations. And so one of the ways we helped was pay, help pay the salaries actually of, of somebody who would be able to find people who'd lost their access to communication because of Katrina and try to support them, which we did for two years. We, we, uh, we kept in contact there and, and, and ran a conference two years later to, to continue to support because recovering from a disaster is not a quick thing. It takes a very long time and, and some people never recover. So I want to fast this forward and pass this to Tammy because Tammy and I are both members of USAC, but we're also members of a, another group called the Patient Provider Communication Forum. And many of most of those, uh, most of the individuals involved with that are also members of USAC, but they've been doing some incredible work, this another small group, um, to make a difference in, in the lives of people impacted by the COVID-19 virus. Yeah, Tammy, tell us all about this. Sure. Um, a few weeks ago, which feels like a lifetime ago right now, uh, several of us realized that, um, and when I say several of us, that includes speech-language pathologists, nursing leaders, and engineers in the United States. And we realized that with this pandemic, that means people are going into respiratory distress. And that means we're going to have a surge in people who are now intubated or receive a trach and unable to speak. So we've created a bunch of resources and tools which are on the patient provider communication website, patientprovidercommunication.org, there's a little plug there, um, that you can go to to see uh, communication boards in English and multiple languages. Uh, we have some tips on how better to communicate. We all keep talking about PPE and if you've ever worn an N95, your own speech gets muffled and then the person, the patient on the other end has a hard time understanding you, uh, especially patients who are deaf or hard of hearing who rely on lip reading, now we're taking that away from them. So we've created all of these resources and it's kind of uh, really taken off and we're getting into more work than we thought we would have, but it's really wonderful. Uh, Tammy, that echoes my own work in that um, I work for a public school and with all the teachers now having to move to distance learning, there's been a, a, a wait, I have to make it accessible? Yes, yes, you do. How do I do that? Oh, okay. Well, here's the thing that we've been talking about for a long time. <laughs> now you're listening. Fantastic. It's the silver lining. We're all smiling. But like I said, you know, it, it's the silver lining because in the end, so many more people will be aware of these things. So let's talk about that a little bit more. How did you decide what those resources should look like? I mean, are there letter boards there? What does your core board, I'm, I'm imagining it's core vocabulary boards, um, but, but I don't want to, I don't know. I have not been there. So tell me what would I find if I clicked on that link? So a lot of the resources that we have are actually resources that a lot of us are using anyway in the hospitals. So we've been doing, um, providing AAC in ICUs and in acute care settings and all across healthcare settings for a while now, but we're just increasing the capabilities of what these communication boards are and what they can do for patients and providers. Uh, so we have some alphabet boards, some uh, picture symbol and text boards, uh, we also have some medical decision-making boards because unfortunately we're seeing patients who are needing to make either end-of-life or life-sustaining treatment decisions and they need a 
way to be able to communicate their wishes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're just all so, so, um, and then you said there's some training materials there as well. Cause I would imagine there are, for many people, this is, um, it's going to be new, right? They may have worked with a handful of people who have lost the ability, you know, they previously had the ability to communicate and then do not, um, using verbal speech. So now they have to look for an alternative communication mode. Um, and so they need, they wouldn't know necessarily how to do this, you know, is that, do you have something there for them? Yeah, within the communication boards, we have instructions built in. So they're meant to be, I guess, double-sided, printed. So you can have the communication board on one side and then you flip it over on the other side. And not everyone can access the communication board with direct selection, especially if you are under some kind of sedation. And so we have partner-assisted scanning strategies on the other side of the board. So the provider or communication partner knows how to help the patient access the board itself. Gotcha. I would imagine nurses maybe have had more training and more experience, but there'd be family members that would come and, or, and wouldn't be able to, or, or wouldn't, wouldn't know how to, I guess is the better way to put it. They've never had any experience that way. Right. So I, um, a few weeks ago, I worked with someone who's trached event and unable to speak and his wife was not able to come to the hospital uh, because now we have the no visitor policy um, and she's uh, due to have a baby any day at this point. Um, and so we were able to FaceTime our therapy session and I taught her how to do partner assisted scanning strategies. She printed the board at home. And so she was able to do it with him by the end of our session. So I didn't need to be there anymore for future sessions so she could uh, use the communication board with him. And he got to pick his baby's name that way. <laughs> so cool. That is so great. That is so great, which would not have happened otherwise. Right. Yeah. That's making really meaningful difference to somebody's life, right? Trying. Yes. Um, okay. So let's see. Is there anything else to talk about the kind of the emergency preparedness or, or what's happening for, I mean, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Other thoughts or, or strategies for people or just go to that website and check out those resources? Well, I also think they can get the website um, right at USAC because uh, we have a section on disaster um, and emergencies and it's the first, the COVID virus is the first thing and it takes, it actually takes you right to the, the patient provider communication website and also USAC is going to be hosting a webinar on the topic. Um, Tammy's going to be one of our our speakers. Um, I think the end of this month. So uh, I think that'll be, and, and it, it'll share some information, but it also will allow people to ask questions mm -hmm. because there's so many unanswered questions. Um, this is such a different kind of quote unquote disaster. Um, so that even our committee is, we're just thankful that we have the um, committee of experts who live this every day uh, engaged in the effort to help people. Let me ask, um, since my focus, my job, my day-to-day my -day job is we're working in the public schools, um, I know that, uh, again, here in the notes, you're mentioning the Bridge School is doing some things. Now, I've seen the Bridge School, they're in California, right? I've, I've uh, heard about them before, and you feel like they're doing some sort of unique work. What, what, what are some things they're doing or that you know of? I'm, I'm on the board of the Bridge School and actually doing a... Um a research project right now with some of the staff. So they're obviously um, not in session. 
They haven't been for a couple of weeks. They live, they are in the um, San Francisco Bay Area, so that's been closed down for several weeks. But the staff is doing daily check-ins and um, educational running classrooms. There's two classrooms um, running their classrooms with the kids at home. Now, these are all children with severe speech problems and severe physical impairments, so they're all um, in wheelchairs, and um, they range in age from 3 to 13, 12 or 13. So um, they're used to hands-on, hands on one or two on a child, um, supporting that child, and also the parents are not used to educating their own children. <laughs> yep. So there's challenges here, but there is incredible opportunities that are emerging from this, and the kids are just adorable in reaching out on you know the their Zoom thing or their WebEx and trying to touch their teachers and each other. So um, it's pretty special. Um, something that has been on my mind a lot lately with this new world that we are currently living in is the idea that for so long, and specifically when you mentioned how the parents aren't the ones necessarily working with the kids a lot, and now they are, um, I feel like there's this, and you said, you used the word opportunity, I feel like there's this huge opportunity for us to become the true coaches of the family. Um, one of my colleagues here in the Northern Virginia area, she had mentioned uh, kind of thinking of this new remote distance learning as um, as a, an IFSP model or an early intervention model where, you know, once upon a time when kids were really little uh, or, you know, some families might have experience with this, but if you're not familiar with that, that model, it's usually a team of people going into the home and giving advice and coaching, truly asking reflective questions where people respond. And then, and it's all about what the goals of the family are. And then it shifts at some point when it gets to the school where it's the goal of the student and we lose some of that family stuff, a lot of the family stuff becomes assignments that we give them for homework, right? And there's correspondence. And sometimes it's once a year, you know, uh, or it's one-sided progress notes. So this idea that now we can maybe work more closely with families because we have to, you know, in some cases the kids aren't going to attend to the screen. So it's, you get nothing or you get me talking to you and I give you strategies at home. And that could be like a huge opportunity. I don't know. What do you think? There's one thing I just I think has to be mentioned uh, about this is there I think it shifts the relationship as you're saying right between the parent and the quote unquote professional and it so that provides opportunities but I think there's something about being in each other's homes that's huge so typically professionals are invited into the homes of families but that never happens the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so that there used to be like a barrier, right? That was, you weren't supposed to fraternize with your clients, God mm -hmm. forbid. And then I remember this goes way, 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 way back. But um, the first group of children I ever worked with, 70% uh, of them didn't talk and nobody had ever mentioned that to me in graduate school, ever. Right. Right. So I was a speech pathologist, therefore I was going to do our tick therapy. But 70% of the first, my first caseload were not, did not have functional speech. And so I broke that rule because the families started inviting me to like 
this or that or the other thing. I needed to see these children in their natural environment. And I remember my supervisor, you know, saying, well, this is not exactly right. And I said, yeah, but I... I'm, we're talking about communication and if it's it, and so I just think that there's something about breaking down those barriers that is going to be positive going forward yeah. and and part of it is coming into letting them into our homes our lives I agree I agree do you want to see my messy closet behind the <laughs> That's screen right. of course I do <laughs> Yeah, I would show it all day long. My wife, it's like, you're not going to show all my dirty clothes in there. Like, yeah. Hey, Mike's back. Hey, Mike, welcome back. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so let's talk about this then. So, um, Tammy, let's start with you. What can people do to help? Uh, you know, like you said, you have this website that, that has some resources, but that's all them getting information. What can people do to help you that is actually, you know, boots on the ground in the hospitals helping people right now? Um, I think it would go back to something I would say before COVID-19 hit us, and that is to look at communication as a medical priority and that it is a quality and safety issue. And so now this is just further exacerbated with what's going on and even more important now that people don't have their families or visitors at the bedside. So people can um, do some more emergency preparedness for themselves if you use AAC, having a go bag with your chargers and everything you may need, low tech options to bring with you to the hospital. And, the other thing, as providers, we're all patients too. So everyone here should be doing that as well. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Great advice for people. Uh, Sarah, what about you? What are your, some of your final thoughts? You, you've been in the world of AEC longer than anyone else on this podcast, like you said. So what are some final thoughts about what's happening now or just in general in AEC? I would love to hear your perspective, your veteran perspective of, of where we are and where you think we're going. So I, I think where we are is um, a time that's, that's extremely challenging and points out and should be pointing out to people the importance of communication and that all of us right now are using augmentative and alternative forms of communication to Excellent. do all kinds of things. And so, um, and we're trying to make it work. So I think an organization like the United States Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication is not a place for 153 people to belong to. It's, it's a space that um, um, can, can and, and should have many, many more members who are working together to solve communication problems wherever they occur, particularly for people who have um, significant communication challenges as well, as well as motor challenges, it can be visual challenges, hearing challenges, cognitive challenges, but everybody can communicate. You just have to find a way to do it. And everybody needs to be able to communicate to be safe and to belong. Well said. Well said. Not just 153 members, 153,000 members. Exactly. That's got to be the goal. That's got to be the goal. Exactly. Uh, so, Mike, I'll, I'll let you take us out. What, what, are your sign, what, are, what are your final thoughts? I worry about the impact of the pandemic on the life of AAC communicators and their families. 
their child or adult can't go to school or adult day program and they might lose a lot of their skills. I am curious about how many students might need summer school this year. What I want people to know more about is don't assume people with complex communication needs have a cognitive disability too. We AAC communicators need more time, but we are worth the wait. What I wish I knew more about is what are the areas in AAC we don't talk about a lot like rural population, employment for AAC communicators, and how we can come together to build a great community. Yeah, I think about that rural I think about that rural part too, you know, I mean, I, I live in a county that is relatively wealthy. It's close to DC. Uh, we have, a, but there's still some people that live out in the rural areas of our county that don't have access to Wi-Fi. We had to rush out and get them uh, Wi-Fi spots and that still didn't get everybody. And some of the people out there uh, have students with disabilities that have uh, communication needs and <laughs> What are they doing? You know, I don't, I can't even get to them to find out what they're doing. Besides, you know, they, they can co- contact their case manager with a phone call and the phone, the schools have been certainly calling them. But um, I don't know, there's just a level of connectedness you have when you have the internet that you, you don't when you have the, you're just on the phone line. So I think about them too, Mike. I think they're emerging nations in every little part of our country. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a gr- great way to put it. Um, so uh, let me ask you this, Mike, on our, again, taking us out. Um, what would you say? To... Go ahead. Members, we had a great employment conference years ago when they had more members. Mm-hmm. Was that the conference was in Pittsburgh? Am I remembering? Is that the one? Yeah, Sarah's nodding. Yes. That was maybe five or six years ago. I knew you were going to call on me. <laughs> you want to talk about this? Okay, this so he, Mike wants to talk about this. <laughs> so we, um, it was called the Pittsburgh Employment Conference, PEC. Okay. And it was, I think, almost every year for a while. Uh, Bruce Baker was behind it, he, he and his group. Um, it, was, it was really a, a great conference. It was four. It was all about employment. And that's been a huge issue forever. Uh, Continues to be. uh, We're better, but we're not good. Um, And, and it, it really focused on that. Um, And then, for various reasons, it, it was no longer offered. And so I know that Mike Hippel would like it to be brought back. And so he is lobbying USAC to find a way to do that. And we, we had agreed that because of the 2020 um, Isaac conference in Cancun in August, which was postponed till 2021, sadly, but that's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. um, that we, we had agreed that we would talk about it in 2021, but now we're not going to because we're going to be still talking about Isaac 2020 in 2021. But Mike, we hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I like to challenge Baker and the city of Pittsburgh to work with us. 
All right, I, I will spread that word to him. I will. I'll mention it to him. I was supposed to go to the MinSpeed conference. Of course, that was also canceled because of what's going on. But I can certainly pass that message along. I have a feeling they've heard it before. <laughs> uh, but I will certainly pass it along. Um, well, and let me ask you this, Mike, uh, and and again, everybody here. We know employment's an issue, and that could be a way to address it is at these conferences, uh, uh, Isaac being one of them, but there are certainly other conferences. There's ATIA, there's uh, Closing the Gap. So the meetings uh, around this topic could happen at a more regular, frequent basis, and maybe now's the time to do it. I mean, maybe there is a little bit, I don't know about you, It's I don't, I don't have more time. Tammy, I didn't get the impression you have more time. <laughs> I get the impression you have less time, but... This might be a time where people do have more time. They're at home. They could be having these sorts of conversations and make something like this happen. I, I think it would be interesting to um, have these conferences uh, virtually. Mm -hmm. Okay, one thing we do know is that a lot of people who use AAC use technology. Um, when they're, particularly if they're searching for jobs because you kind of have to. It, it's one thing to communicate with your family without technology that works really well but not so much with people yes. who don't know you so um i think that's an opportunity also i i i think that with a membership of only 156 people that's a major thing we have to grow our membership because it takes time resources skills abilities and money to put on a conference um so you know, to, to, to think creatively about how to do this that's feasible, I think is, is uh, something that you can take on, Mike. Go for it. <laughs> Chris will help you. <laughs> I will. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for taking your time today to talk about this, uh, all of this. Uh, I think the final message here is to look at those resources. Uh, Tammy, we'll make sure they're up on the website. Um, so the patient provider communication.org plus everything else that we mentioned uh, in the podcast. We want to advocate for people to, to become a member of USAC. So we grow those numbers. And then if you're interested in, Mike, would it be okay if people were interested in starting to uh, have a conversation around uh, employment to reach out to you, to try and organize it through email in some way? Am I, am I, I don't mean to be putting, literally putting words in your mouth here, dude, but is, is that what you're asking us to do? Is that what sure. <laughs> or should I just have him write Bruce Baker? <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, I will put all that, I'll make sure all that information is in our show notes. Uh, and thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Mayling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.